1: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything Podcast. My name is Amit Man. You can find me on social at Amit underscore man. You can find my guest, Aaron Rose, at Aaron Ben Rose on TikTok, on Twitter. Where else can they find you? What other social Instagram?
2: I don't know what else yeah. there is. I don't have yeah. MySpace anymore, but everywhere you want to find me, Aaron Ben Rose.
1: <laughs> I think I have an A man 17 ICQ handle. If you want to find me there, by all means. I'm not sure if anyone knows what ICQ, maybe I'm <laughs> dating myself a little bit anyways with uh, with Aaron, we're going to do some Raptors awards. It was an amazing season. I mean, now that the, the wound has kind of fallen off a little bit uh, that feeling of disgust at the Raptors lost to the foul baiting Philadelphia 76ers, it's kind of going away. Yes. They kind of dropped the ball a little bit and yes, they were the better team, my words, um, but injuries happen. It is what it is. What do you do? Um, they'll be back next season. But, To commend this season, let's go through some awards. The projection at the beginning of the season was that the Raptors were going to win 35.5 games. And they crushed it by winning 48. And something I just realized before I started recording with you, Aaron, is that they finished with a 48 and 34 record, which is the same record they had in 2013, 2014, when they started a seven consecutive season appearances uh, in the playoffs. So it's kind of a poetic beginning to this new start with the franchise, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Bleet, OG Ananobi, uh, the three-headed monsters for the Raptors are going to help them get back to the promised land. So yeah, very cool for, I guess, initially, like, what are your thoughts on, on the Raptor season? Were you surprised at how it uh, kind of played out?
2: Well, I, I think you draw an interesting parallel there to that early, sort of that first run where the Raptors bumped their heads up against a veteran sort of, similar to this 76ers team, but a veteran nets team that had been there before, who had been through those battles before some of those guys had won a championship. And this Raptors team sort of didn't really know what they were doing and defied expectations and won what you said, 48 games. And I think you're right. It's the start of a new era. And I think we asked Kyle when he was here in Toronto, how does this team remind him of those teams? And he said that this team right now is far more talented than that group ever was. So, um, you're right. It, it, it was a very exciting year. They, they defied expectations. I thought they would sort of be in that low play in yeah. tournament and probably bounce sort of in the play-in tournament, never actually reached the true playoffs. Um, they were, they proved me wrong. I was wrong on that one um, <laughs> yeah. and, and they had a great season. And I know there's some questions, you know, this is a couple of years in a row where they haven't won a championship, but last year they drafted fourth overall. And even if they weren't the fourth worst team in the league, you know, mission one was make sure you draft a, a great player in the, in the draft with that fourth overall pick. Obviously they did that. They took yep. a step forward. And to me, you know, Masai Jury laid out his, his vision moving forward and it makes sense to me. And I think Raptors fans have to be very optimistic about the future.
1: Hell yeah, man. And hey, Masai said it yesterday. The Tampa season, the Tampa tank season was a success. Why? Because they drafted Scotty Barnes. And I love that, you know, throughout that whole time, everyone's thinking, okay, so they're going to take Jalen Suggs. What does that mean for Fred Van Bleed, Malachi Flynn? Do they need both of them? Yada, yada, yada. The whole time, the Raptors are like, we're going to take Scotty Barnes. <laughs> it's such a Raptors move that they go east, the Raptors are going to go west. That's how they operate. That's how they've always done it. And that's how they continue to have success is that they are different. And this vision, this season, 6-9, although everyone says like 6-9 vision, I mean, really it's like 6-8 because they don't have that many six, nine players, but anyways um, they have something here and it's proven to be successful. And with a couple of tweaks here and there, some internal growth, they're going to be back next season and they're going to be better, but to commend this season, as I said, let's go through some awards. So um, yeah, I'll give you guys a rundown. So we're going to go through most improved player teammate of the year uh, meme of the year, most impressive performance by a player. We're going to do the oh, shit, Scotty Barnes moment where, where we realize that this guy is the real deal. Defensive player of the year, game of the year, six man of the year, your favorite Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri quotes, and finally rounding it out with MVP, who I hope everyone knows who that person is, but it's an opportunity to speak about that player. Now, if you're interested, you can check this out on YouTube. It'll be a little bit more interactive with B-roll and clips and stuff like that. So just keeping that in mind, do what you will podcast youtube whatever you want so to start aaron now t- full transparency i know exactly what aaron is saying <laughs> his, his nominations and picks for all of this so and he knows mine but you can present the people with our most improved player because we both had the same person Mo- most improved player throughout the season sorry
2: Well, I'll start by saying that this was close for me. There were two guys, and I think same for you, probably. There were two guys that we were looking at for who could be the most improved player throughout the season, as opposed to the most improved from last season. And the guy who finished second for me was Chris Boucher, and he was a disaster to start the season Uh, Mm -hmm. and I I go back to that game when the Raptors had nobody against the Cleveland Cavaliers everyone was in COVID and he said his parents his family basically turned off the TV he couldn't watch the game they couldn't watch the game and it was a disaster for him and from that I think it was boxing day onward he was a totally different player he accepted his position and became like one of the Raptors most reliable players off the bench and we can talk about that a little bit more later but the top guy for the most improved player throughout the season I, think I <ﷺ> gave it to, <laughs> drum roll please, yes. I gave it to Precious Achua. Hell yeah. Uh, and, and, and you could put that also in the conversation for most improved from last year. This was a guy who came over from Miami and took like one three-pointer all season, didn't make yeah. it. It was basically, as he said at the beginning of the year, put in a box in Miami, which has a mm-hmm. very veteran team, a structured team. And Toronto said, let's see what you can do. And at the beginning of the season, let's see what you could do meant he was going to do all of these crazy things. He was going to run <laughs> co- end to end with the ball. He was going to dribble. He was going to turn it over. He was going to do crazy, um, bad decision-making. And we still saw some of that at the end of the yeah. season. And uh, he's, he's certainly not a perfect player yet. Maybe he gets there one day. But he took huge steps forward. And now you, you could see his decision-making was was there when he was dribbling with the ball, when he was making yeah. moves. His three-point shooting, he was crazy in the second half of the season. We saw what he mm. did. It was a surprise to me that he ended up going to the uh, Rising Stars game at the All-Star game. I think that gave him some sort of confidence for a guy who's not lacking in confidence. And when he came out after that, from that point on, he was incredible for the Raptors and and probably in the conversation for most improved player heading into next season. If we were to place bets on who that would be, he'd be right up there. So he's my winner. and And I think you had him too.
1: Oh, beautiful. Yeah, um, I had him as well. with bets. speaking of which, once those projections come out for next season, but the Raptors win total, just take the over, make yourself some money, and you're going to thank yourself in April of 2023. But yes, Precious Achua. Wow. Um, the moments that we had with him at the beginning of the season and the fact that Messiah Jury outlined that he even went to Nick Nurse at times and was it was like, what is this guy doing? And it was a Nick Nurse, the person saying, um, give him some give him some time. Be patient because he's going to figure it out. But the flashes were there, even in Summer League, that you saw this really dynamic player who can guard – almost anyone on the NBA court and his ability to run the floor and the speed that in which he can do it, um, his athleticism, like it really did show at six, eight how many people and how many ways he can affect the game in a positive manner, but it did not start. Well, of course, um, the missed out use was one of the first thing that came to mind. And that's still something that he has to work on and it'd be really cool. If Raptors and Fred Van Bleed and precious that you can find some chemistry there because they could really use some easy half court offense. And that would be a nice outlet for it. But outside of that, uh, Mr defensive assignments, like deciding he was going to shoot before the ball even got to him. He was just like, I'm going to go. I'm going to shoot the ball and you guys are going to have to just figure it out. And it was kind of like the Andrea Bagnari thing, actually, because we always found that when Bargs was a Raptor, He was deciding to shoot before he even got the ball. And that's what Precious was doing too. But then as the season goes on, he's reading the defense better. He's becoming more patient. The offensive fouls went down because he had better um, adjustments on the fly of, okay, so now the defense is collapsing on me. Where's the open man? It wasn't always like, go, go, go. I think he was just really trying to figure this out. And he was given the autonomy. Nick Nurse said it. He's like, yo. Go out there and, and be someone and try and figure things out. This was what the season was for. And seeing his maturation as uh, as a I guess a pick and roll player, as a defender, his focus. Because I remember you know, so many times during the early stage of the season where like he just he didn't have the focus. One that comes to mind is against the Golden State Warriors in Oakland. Uh, he was fixing his hair and Jordan Poole got loose, and he hit a three over him. That's the kind of stuff that was happening. It's, like, not the Raptors' identity. And also, it just shows, like, this is part of the evolution of Presta Chua that he had to understand, especially after that last season, like you mentioned, where he didn't get a lot of playing time. It's like, this is what you got to do, especially with the Raptors. You got to be locked in from the get-go to get playing time, and he figured it out. And one thing that comes to mind here is I was looking at – Basketball index, and they have this stat around on ball defenders and who are the best in the NBA. And he was actually ranked top five at the end of March. And that in that category, it's like it's looking at on ball defense, off ball chasing, and ball handling, slash screen navigation in the pick and roll. And he was a top five player in that. And then you factor in that he is also the person who's guarding Duel Embiid. So you have a very versatile defender who can guard John Morant and are also. Joel Embiid at a very capable level. That is insane. And you think about his work throughout the season, like you had mentioned, 23% from three up until January 15th afterwards, 40% astounding progression from a player right and there was a case uh, late in the season where I went to practice and I saw him working on his his three-point shot and he was getting like legit pissed at himself because of how many shots he was missing and he was working with Mike Springer and Earl Watson two guys who deserve deserve a lot of credit for their development roles um, within the Raptors and that's his work man he was hitting those transition threes he was hitting against the 76ers in that uh, late um, April game he was hitting those shots like those are the things that he was doing on the offensive end of the court and when he Says he trusts his work, it's because he really does put all the work in to become the player that he is now. And you think about what he's going to be next season, it's going to be crazy because he's going to work.
2: Yeah. And Nick always talks about the difference between like okay players to good players to great players yeah. is how often are you doing it? Are you good two out of five nights or are you good three out of five nights or are you good four mm-hmm. out of five nights? It's really hard to be a five out of five night player. You know, that's the top players in the league. How consistently yeah. can they do it? And I think. He talks about that. Nick talks about that in a game sense, but I think we saw in precious at the beginning of the year, he'd have the ball in his hands and he'd make the wrong decision. Three out of five times, four out of five times. And by the second half of the season, he wasn't perfect, but four out of five times he was making the right move. He was shooting when it was the right call to shoot. He was putting it on the floor and driving on his defender because they had to respect his three-point shot. Joel Embiid. Whatever he was doing. Joel
1: Embiid right, was getting it.
2: <laughs> right, and he went he went right by Joel Embiid. Yeah. He would either shoot that three or he'd go by him because he had to respect that shot. And again, it wasn't perfect, but four out of five, you know, five out of six, he was yeah. making the right decision. And, and when you can do that over game after game after game next season and the year after that, we're talking about a guy who could be really special. That's just on the offensive end. And as you mentioned, one of the best defensive players we saw in that series, he could go up against Joel Embiid every night. And also switch on to James Harden and Harden might not be the guy he used to be, but he's still sort of a really pesky offensive player and he can make young immature players, like make them look like a fool And, and having a guy that can defend one through five, you know, everyone says that, but he's a guy who can actually defend one through five. That's exactly what the Raptors want to do.
1: If you look at, uh, precious. Now, what are some things that come to mind that you think he needs to work on this summer to get to the next step? Because there's a, I mean, his his toolbox is huge right now, but what are those three things that you're like, get better at these for next season?
2: Well, I think it's that three point shot. Make sure it's the second half of the season, three point shot. And we've seen that with other guys. Pascal Siakam comes to mind where you have a great three point shooting season, then for whatever reason, it falls off. So make sure he's consistently shooting and maybe get those attempts per game up. Make Mm -hmm. sure that decision making is there. And then I think the big thing for me, and I asked him about this, was he might be a guy who is the starting center every night or is playing significant center minutes. And I asked him, what was it like going up against Joel Embiid? You know, Six nights in a row, or whatever it was. And he's like, it was exhausting. And that is tough. He's like, that's a 300 pound man, a seven foot guy. And it is exhausting. Now, there's only like a handful of guys in the league who look like Joel Embiid. I mean, you have two really. Right.
1: Yeah. Now, Just them there are two, some other, like of...
2: Samuel Adams is a big guy, and, and, yeah. uh, or Steven adams excuse me. And uh, Jonas Valanciunas is a big guy. But the Raptors are willing to give up James size in there. some of those matchups. Yeah. But against those two big, bigs, the Raptors are yeah. going to have to do with schemes. But, if, if he puts on the weight and he gets bigger to defend those guys, you know, the, the two or three guys in the league that are like that, yeah. well, is it going to hurt his ability to defend guys like John Morant or James Harden? And there's sort of a push and pull. Does he get bigger to defend centers? Does he get mm. smaller to defend guards? And I think what he has right now is a great balance of the two. And it'll be interesting to see if he comes back. If he's exhausted because he's going up against the biggest bigs every night and can't handle that, then that's a problem. But he also has to stay true to the precious Achua that the Raptors have fallen yep. in love with because he can defend one through five. And that's an interesting give and take that you'll mm-hmm. have to sort of figure out moving forward next season and probably through the rest of his career.
1: No question, and I mentioned. Uh, I mean, it's Embiid, it's uh, it's Jokic, and I guess Yonas So Those are the three guys that come to mind who at least have like the the offensive game that you have to respect as well. Like a Rudy Gobert, for instance. I mean, we love to we love to to rip on Rudy Gobert, a person of his size, but you don't have to guard him in the same fashion that like you like you have to do with the Jokic or Embiid or so forth. So um, it's only a few players that the Raptors really have to scheme against, and those are the guys that are going to give the Chua specifically, a bit of a headache. But as Nick Nurse has outlined so many times, it is about a team defense to get that job done. But at some point, it does fall on the player who's mono-a-mono. Mano. And the Chua is going to be that guy in a lot of cases. Scotty Barnes probably also is another person. And uh, I, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but I would like to see the Raptors get one bigger body uh, to fill in that Kem Birch kind of role. Just like that 10, 15-minute person who you feel like, okay, we can put him out there against some of these bigger guys and it's not going to be such a mismatch. Scheming is great, but it would be nice to have like, I mean, for lack of a better person in mind, like a Mason Plumley, you know, someone who can just, who's a bigger body, who's got some athleticism, who can run the floor a little bit. And it's just going to be like 10, 15 minutes. I think that'd be cool, but that's my opinion. Things that come to mind for me for, for Precious is working with Fred Van Bleet, get in the, get in the training room and get on that, uh, get on that uh, alley They really need that chemistry to happen. They didn't even try it much in that second half of the season because um, it wasn't a stable source of offense. And a lot of turnovers would happen from it. Precious would get stuffed by the rim. Maybe Fred's pass would go a little bit away, whatever. I think that's something that, uh, I mean, over the course of the training camp, I'm sure it's going to help. But like finishing around the basket as well, that's another thing. Three to 10 feet, he finished uh, at 33%. That little hook shot can be Yikes. really, really yeah, really beneficial for him. Get on that you know, take that Scotty Barnes program because he is so good down there with the uh, an array of moves and they got a similar height. So just yeah, work on that and also the catch and shoot threes, like you had mentioned. Having a center who can hit threes at a decent clip. Is such a weapon and it's gonna make things so much easier for everyone on the on the Raptors, Fred Van Bleet as a pick and roll partner, OG Ananobi, Pascal. Like all these guys are gonna benefit from his gravity as a shooter. And if it has to be respected, then now we're gonna have those situations with Joel Embiid where you have to respect him out there, but also he's got the quickness to get by a lot of these fives. And that is a huge weapon. Next award, teammate of the year. Aaron, go ahead.
2: Well, I, I would call it Raptors assistant coach Fred Van Vliet. Yes. And he, he we know what he did on the court and he was incredible in the first half of the season and an all-star player and certainly worthy of that. In the second half, he tailed off a little bit with Nicks and Bruises. But this was a guy who took responsibility every single night he went out their court you know he owned his injuries every time people raised questions you know could is this the right move is this the right move why are you playing poorly whatever the situation was he said you know i have to be better if i'm out there the responsibility is on me he never threw anyone else under the bus you know i think of times where malachi flynn people were asking questions what's up with malachi flynn he answered those questions he put his confidence in malachi flynn night after night whatever it was and he's he's an assistant coach on the court we saw it actually he's an assistant coach both when he's on the court and when he's not playing oh, yeah. for whatever oh, yeah. his, the issue is, uh, he's out there, he's mentoring guys. So, yeah, so when we're talking about leadership on this team, we saw at times last year, he sort of, I think, behind the scenes, probably more so than a lot of people realized, he was taking over that leadership uh, sure. from Kyle Lowry. And this year, without Kyle, he fully stepped into that position. He spoke to the media, you know, every single opportunity we needed a guy for great quotes. He was always there. And to me, he's like the consummate professional, a great leader. And I think the face, maybe not the face of the franchise, because he He's not at that number one sort of player, but he's the yeah. leader of this organization and somebody they can put out there every single night, and he he'll represent the the organization the right way.
1: I remember earlier on in the season, and he, I think someone asked him about uh, you know what's the biggest transition into being this leader, and he said that it's not necessarily. Um, on the court, it's more off the court and being the person that has to watch all the film to make sure guys are in the right spots on defense and offense and being like that, that, uh, that the brain essentially, just like Kyle Lowry was when he was on the court. Um, It's a unique quality and you have to take on so much more responsibility. But then I think about it like this too, is that if you are this person who's doing so much more work now, all of a sudden I would be like, you guys still aren't getting this. Like I'm the person who's watching all this film and you guys are still not picking up these schemes that I keep on preaching to and Nick is preaching to and all these coaches are telling us how to do things. You guys are not picking it up. And early on the season, man, like you could see the frustration was on Pascal's face, Fred's face, because they're like, the scheme's good. Like it works. We just need to execute it better. I don't know how many times we heard them say that, that it just wasn't being done properly as all these younger players were getting playing time and they were essentially messing it up. They just weren't executing the game plan. And that takes a lot of patience. And I think that's part of his maturation as a leader is that he recognized that and he stuck to his guns. And I just love, I love his swagger. And that's one thing that really was resonated with me with the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan era, which was like the We the North era. There was like a snarl, a confidence that was unwavering. And the Raptors didn't lose that. There were a few moments where you can kind of catch uh, Fred talking to the team. And one that stuck out to me was he told Precious and I think it was December 1st game against the Bucks. It was late in the game and Precious was in this phase where he was still making a lot of mistakes and <laughs> he looked at him he looked at the whole team there was like 3 seconds left and they all they had to do was to stand there and not move and not do anything not foul they were going to win the game and he looks at the whole team he's like don't fucking move he's like just hands up that's all you got to do and he looks right at Precious and he like taps him on the shoulder with a big smile he's like remember right don't don't move and Precious was like yeah yeah and then <laughs> Fred's like okay cool 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 so he gets it and then another one that comes to mind is uh after during the Lowry game because um there was a lot of like oopla around it right Kyle Lowry's back it was a great celebration yada 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 pregame. but then you know Fred's talking to the team um, in the pregame huddle and he says, let's go get a fucking win. Yes. They lost the game, unfortunately, but it's like that kind of leadership, like everyone, like, yeah, all this stuff's happening, but now let's let's refocus and let's get to it. And another one actually don't know what game this was from, but they're on the bench and he looked over at Pascal and he says, they can't fuck with us. That was so cool too. Like this is like the snarl that I talk about that Fred brings. And Pascal's a bit quiet about it. He doesn't, he rarely shows that side of him. OG, oh, same kind of deal. So Fred has to be that outwardly confident guy. And he's not always necessarily that. Like he's he's a quiet, confident person, but he was more outward with it this season because he knew his team needed it. And that was cool.
2: No, and I think he's a guy that you see around the league undrafted players or second-round picks look up to him. I think of Jose yeah. Alvarado mentioned him, and he's like, that's a guy I look up to. And when you have a guy in your organization that has been through it, has grinded sure. for everything, you can, there's no excuses. You can't yeah. come in, even as Scotty Barnes, a first-round pick and say, you know what, I don't have to listen to this guy. Or you know, uh-huh. this is a guy who's made his money. He's the highest-paid yeah. undrafted player ever. And you have to look at him and you have to respect him. So when you have that in your organization, it's not like someone else who yeah. – I mean, might not work hard this is a guy who's been through it and and knows what it takes so you have to respect that and i think that is why it's so important to have a guy like that on the roster
1: he is a great pick the person i'm going to go with is thad young um it's kind of obvious but the thing that really sticks out to me about that is that when his peers talked about him there was always something concrete that they would say and this is how Youngest impact in impacting the game. It wasn't like, yeah, he's a great vet, yada, yada. There was like Pascal Siakam is talking about his role in the huddle. Chris Boucher, Precious Chua are talking about how he helps them on the bench and navigating screens and understanding uh, concepts and both sides of the ball. And that's his role, man. Like he really did embrace everything about becoming that uh, consummate teammate, the person who's always positive. Precious <laughs> talked about it uh, during his end of season. He was like didn't matter what he was always going to be positive. I could go out there and take like the dumbest shot ever. He'd just be like, yeah, good job. Good job, man. Yeah. Good job. Really good stuff. Like that's, that's a vital role, man. And this is what the Raptors wanted from Thad Young. This is why that they've been so high on him for so many years regardless of like the whole six, nine vision, he is a person that every team needs. You need some good vets on your, on your squad. And some people were really questioning, Hey, is he really worth a first round pick on a draft? I mean, we'll see what happens, but a draft that, you know, 20 to 35 is really much of a difference between the talent pool. The Raptors said no. And so they felt like it was worth it to, dish out that first round pick for Thad Young. And I don't think anyone is questioning that now because of how positive an, of an impact he has made on the Raptors, a franchise. And I really hope that they bring him back. I think they want to everything that we're hearing from Messiah uh, jury and company is that they really do want to bring him back. Um, it's just a matter of the money. And also if, you know, Thad young wants to come back because he's a family man, I can respect that. Um, and if his kids, his kids aren't really sure about the whole Canada thing and his wife, well, then maybe he's not going to come back, but that was one thing that really comes to mind is, uh, yeah, Thad Young,
2: awesome. Yeah, and and I think people sometimes don't realize, they're like, you know, we gotta tear it down to the studs or we gotta rebuild. And sometimes you need a veteran voice like that in the locker room. And it's not just about on paper, do you have all guys who are 22, 23 year olds who can build, you know, this isn't NBA 2K, you need to have a voice like that. And Masai made a joke about how he brought their average age up uh, yesterday (laughs) when he was speaking, how they, they weren't, whatever, the youngest team in the playoffs because of him. But it's important to have that guy. And it's not just have that guy on the bench who's at the end of the bench and people look at him and like, why are you here? You don't play. He was a guy that made a difference on the court and people could look at him and say, all right, he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to listen, when he, yes. what he has, listen to what he has to say. And that's an important role. Uh, you hear it from guys, Kyle Lowry talking about Alvin Williams and the guys who came before him. Every generation has that guy that they look up to. And, mm-hmm. and I think Thad was providing that for some of the young guys on this team.
1: And it's an interesting role too, because you kind of come into a locker room like that and you could be like, demand respect. And that's something that I think Goran Drogic did unfairly because he kind of rubbed players the wrong way. I think of that moment earlier on the season. I don't think actually Drogic played after this is when he was like kind of yelling at the bench, doing all these like hand motions. And You see Ken Burch kind of just like go his, put up his hands like this guy talking about. I don't think he played after that, but that's like the wrong way to approach it sometimes. Like not everyone kind of needs that kick in the ass. Other times it's just support. And that was the case where Dragic made the mistake. And I think there would be cases where, you know, Thad Young is looking at Chris Boucher, Person who also said that, you know, that was so valuable to his season and his turnaround and that he wished he was around all year. And also, you know, uh, yeah, you got to be able to recognize the moment. The other person that comes to mind or the other moment that comes to mind, actually. And this is more of a team thing with the Raptors is uh, after Gary Trent Jr.'s mistake in game three um, against uh, Joel Embiid, where he missed um, he missed a, a check a rotation, whatever you want to look at it. Um, it was pretty obvious based off the footage that he made the mistake, but not one person called it out. And I think that, I thought that was really interesting because Nick Nurse, as far as he would go, he's like, yeah, we just missed a rotation. That's why Joel Embiid made a shot. Um, Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, they said, yeah, we just collectively, we didn't do a good job. It was clear as day that it was Gary Trent Jr. who made the mistake, but no one would say his name. And I think that speaks to the Raptors culture and their philosophy as a team that they don't, you know, throw each other under the bus. And you can, Guarantee that another franchise's it would have came out in some capacity, maybe not a player. But if you word questions right as reporters, you can kind of get a player to say something. But the Raptors were hell bent that they were not going to go down that path, they wouldn't even answer the question. Chris Boucher, Pascal, they were asked the question directly, What happened? They're like, Oh, you know, things happen, moving on because they didn't want to get into that at all because they did not want to make Gary Trent Jr., um, the scapegoat, right. The reason why they lost, they lost collectively. And that's how it goes. That was a revealing moment. And I think about Alex Len, when he was (laughs) dismissed from the Toronto Raptors. And what happened a few days before that? Do you remember, Aaron, what happened?
2: I I do not remind me, but that was a short tenure that I've tried to erase from my mind.
1: He said, um, and maybe this was a factor, maybe not, who knows. But he had said that there was a bit of unrest in the Raptors locker room because they got off to a really poor start, leaking some information. All of a sudden, a couple of days later, he's gone maybe something, maybe nothing. I don't know, but that stuff like that, that doesn't really fly in the Raptors locker room. And I think that's why they're one of the best franchises in the NBA.
2: And, and I think the, there were a few times this season that people were called out, but it was always Nick. It was usually Chris Boucher and he responded to that. So Nick knows yeah. which buttons to press. You never hear him like ridiculing a player. He'll say, you know, with with players like Malachi Flynn he'll explain what he needs to do better to get in the rotation he's not calling him out the one time I think he was very strict and or stern about a player was Chris Boucher he obviously knew that was the right button to press and we saw Chris you know as I mentioned in the most improved player throughout the season he was right there on that list and it was because Nick said to him like you have to get better if you're going to get minutes and he benched him I think for a game sort of in the middle of the season and he responded after that and was as I said one of the best players off the bench for Toronto.
1: Switching to meme of the year, and I guess actually sticking with Chris Boucher. (laughs) Go ahead.
2: Well, yeah, to me, sort of that moment where you just see Chris Boucher, like, keeled over on the bench, like, dying of exhaustion. And (laughs) and to me, that represents sort of this Raptors season. We talked about the lack of depth on this team and Chris being sort Uh of one of those few players who could actually (laughs) provide depth. And Nick was... Fairly or unfairly, and I think we see what happened with Fred Van Vliet in the second half of the season. He probably ran these guys into the ground, but that sort of encapsulated, that moment <laughs> encapsulated this Raptors season because these guys were exhausted. They led the league in yeah. starters minutes. He ran these guys into the ground, and you know there are pros and cons. They probably wouldn't have been the fifth seed in the East had he not pushed. It, had Nick not pushed the starters sure. so hard, but you see Chris Boucher right there. He's just dying, and to me, that was sort of the <laughs> meme of the season.
1: and he hated that he hated that it went viral like that because he was saying like yo I'm just I was tired that's all that happened but I mean cameras are everywhere bro so it's going to happen it is what it is there's a few memes uh that we're going to talk about so one that came to mind for me is Gary Trent Jr. when he was laying on the ground and he says to the camera get the get the camera out of my face when he like actually turned and I think actually Sportsnet they used it in some of their promos because it was such a perfect moment he's like laying there on his back seems like he's daydreaming and then he just like Flip the camera. That was really funny. Another one that comes to mind, Coach Van Bleet. Um, we're gonna get to him in a couple, couple minutes here, but uh he had so many moments when he was not playing. Unfortunately, there were lots of them where he's like doing thumbs up. He's got these like hilarious faces, he's praying on the court, those kind of things. Coach Van Bleet, he was a a gem off the court, at least for content. <laughs>
2: For, for me, the other ones that came to mind were Fred Van Vliet doing the, the Sam Cassell big balls- Oh, uh, yes, uh, yes, 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 When he, celebration when he hit that big <laughs> shot against the 76ers. And then ironically, yeah. the next day he showed up on the injury report with a groin strain. So that to me was one of the funniest stories <laughs> of the season. And then you have that Gary Trent Jr. moment where he's in the media, we're doing Zoom and he's just frozen, he's not moving. And somebody's like, is Gary frozen? And JQ, the head of Raptors PR, is just like, nope, he's just being Gary. I think you're frozen there, Jen. okay so gary is very (laughs) stoic you know he has that style and he was just sitting there with his glasses on looking at the camera not moving so those (laughs) were some of the funny moments that came to mind and of course you have pascal siakam explaining his first big game of the season when he came back from that injury all of a sudden he's getting peed on by his niece. And he explained that whole story to us. I'm not sure if that qualifies as a meme, but just funny moments from the season. I think him telling us that his good luck charm was his niece peeing on him before the game or whatever it was before. I think he went out and had 31 points against the Wizards. those are the funny moments. A very entertaining season for this Raptors uh, group this year.
1: Yeah, great personalities. Another Pascal Siakam one was, his face when he, he can't believe a foul was called on him. It's like it's like the most shocking face you'll ever see. It's like it's like the face where you we, a friend of yours. It says something that is just so ridiculous, and you are going out of your way to just be completely dumbfounded by what the, this man has just said. He has a lot of those. Um, O.G. Ananobi is saying the word fuck after for no reason actually. He just like hit a shot and he just said it, and I happened to capture it, and I'm really happy that I did. And Scotty Barnes's knee highs. When Pascal Siakam hit that game winner against the Boston Celtics, a depleted Boston Celtics team. Yeah, that game should not have been as competitive as it was. But what I loved about that moment is that Scottie was doing the knee highs before the shot even went in. Like he just knew that Pascal got to his spot and he hit it. And one that comes to mind again is a Scotty waving when he's on the, on the podium for the all-star weekend, for some reason, he was just like doing this like really silly wave. And that's very much a Scotty move. Like he's an innocent character. He loves hugging, wants to hug everyone. I've never been hugged by Scotty Barnes, but I wouldn't mind. He seems wholesome.
2: And, and he had that hugging moment with Tyrese Maxey, uh, the yeah. uh, All-Star game, which I think is like <laughs> another iconic hugs moment for Scotty Barnes.
1: <laughs> I'm going to hug you. No, you're not. I'm going to hug you. No, you're not. And then with, Funny, actually, remember in the playoffs, there was a moment where Tyrese Maxey got like a really hard screen from Scotty in game one. And Tyrese looking up at him, he's like, yo, I thought we were boys. Exactly. <laughs> uh Not in the playoffs, unfortunately. Most impressive performances. Pivoting to that. Fred! Oh! Freddie Logo knocks it down! Fred VanVleet versus Utah. Okay. 37 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He went eight of eight. In the third quarter, 24 points, scored 17 straight Raptor points, one shy of the record set by Vince Carter, which was 18. That was a game where you rarely see, like, you feel like you're watching a superstar. A person just take over the game on both sides of the, of the court. He was stealing the ball. He was passing the ball. He was hitting these ridiculous shots, transition threes, getting to the rim. And when I was looking at that footage earlier on today, it made me realize, like, how how injured Fred VanVleet actually was because you see the explosion, the explosion that he had towards a basket, his acceleration, the stop and go, all that stuff was gone at the end of the season. He had literally nothing. I'm not sure like what percentage he was on, but it couldn't have been more than 40. He was such a different player against uh, in that 76 ers series down the stretch of the season. It was unfortunate to see it that way because the Raptors would have looked like a very different team. And um, unfortunately, you know, he decided made the decision that he was going to fight through and try and help the team. Didn't work out, unfortunately, because I mean, he just wasn't himself. And in some ways he was actually hurting the team because he just wasn't able to get to that level of play that he was uh, accustomed to uh, his catch and shoot three really went away. And he was also becoming a bit of a liability on the defensive end, at least in that 76 er series. And th- those aren't things that were really common of seeing a uh, Fred Van Bleet, but But that that game really stuck out to me. I think we're forgetting how good he is because it's been so long since the All Star break that we've seen him be like at that caliber of player. And uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to seeing him healthy again. That'd be amazing.
2: Yeah. You you mentioned he he was he was at that caliber. He was like a shoe in to be an all-star. You know, yeah. we heard every single night coaches would come to Toronto. And we'd we'd ask them, "So do you think Fred's an all-star?" And to a man, they were all like, "This man is a stud. He's somebody uh-huh. we game plan for. He doesn't get enough respect." So we saw in the first half of the season just how special this guy could be. The Raptors, as we just talked about it with that Chris Boucher meme, need to limit <laughs> his minutes a little bit because. Yeah you know, he's not this athletic freak and not this, you know, six, five monster, you know, you have to take care of him. And and I expect we'll see that next season, but if they can keep him healthy, he's still a guy that you need to keep around because of what he can do and what he showed in that first half.
1: Yeah. And to the credit of the Raptors, I mean, this was a hot topic with Nick nurse and Messiah Jerry's. Why did you play your starters so much? And they finally kind of really divulged their plan is that we, yeah, we ran our starters to the ground because that's our core. That's our tier one of players that we want to see uh, produce and become, you know, part of our championship core going forward. And so we need them to get reps. They need time. So yeah, we're going to play them 39 minutes, 49 minutes, 55 minutes, whatever the case is, because those are valuable reps for them and it's going to help them become uh, better players and you're going to make them uncomfortable. That's why, you know, Gary Trent Jr. Was working in the pick and roll as a ball handler. Now something he's really accustomed to doing OG and Anobi that early season stretch, a lot of stuff happened because of injuries and it is what it is, but he became, a, he became a better player because of all these reps he got in different situations. And it's going to make the Raptors that much better next season. And with Fred, yeah, a backup point guard. I would love to see Malachi Flynn take some of those minutes. It's unfortunate for Malachi to some degree, just sidebar is uh, he's, there's like three, to- three point guards before him, right? You got Pascal, you got, you got Scotty and you got Fred VanVleet um, and Delano Banton to some degree, although I hope he kind of get transitions to a shooting guard if he's able to hit threes at that clip, but um, yeah, yeah. It would be cool to see a backup point guard, like a true backup point guard emerge because as the Raptors, as we're talking about, you know, them getting some more rest for their starters and not overworking them, you need a backup point guard. So that way also Scotty and Pascal can get some rest as well. Um, Next one for me was OG versus the Knicks.
0: 29 points, sizes up Barrett, fires a three and sticks it.
1: So this was early on in the season. He had 36 points on 13 of 27 shooting, career high for him. He was better than Julius Randle. And uh, that was a a game where we saw his step back really working. His step back threes were going. He was hitting those rhythm three-point shots. He was making smart passes off uh, off of doubles. And his turnaround jumper was there. Like, we're seeing all these little bits of OG's game kind of really evolve in ways that we didn't know he would ever be able to do. And that's why this is a game for me, for at least OG, uh, is because who would have thought he'd get to this point, you know, in his NBA career, a person who's able to, orchestrate offense and be something of a number one option. I never would have thought that because his his game's a bit strange, right? It's unconventional.
2: And we saw that at times in these playoffs when Pascal Siakam or Fred Van didn't have things going. Maybe Fred was out. We saw at times that he was taking over the game. And yeah. he's, he's a really important role player, even if he doesn't become, you know, take his game to the next level the way we saw it in, at points this time. You know, if he could ever stay healthy, even with who he is right now, a guy who can defend a variety of positions, who will take mm-hmm. on the best matchup every single night, even if he's just primarily a catch and shoot corner specialist, you know, three and D wings are exactly what this Raptors team is looking for right now. They want more two way players. If they had a team that was full of OGN and OBs, you know, I think they'd be pretty happy right now. So he's a very, very important player for this team moving forward. You know, the games that come to mind for me, the, the, what did you call it? The most impressive performances of the season for me, the first one that came to mind was that early season game from Scotty Barnes. You know, it might not have been his best game of the season. You know, I think back back about that Lakers game when he went toe to toe with LeBron or whatever, but Mm -hmm. that was the moment where I think it was like the second or third game of the season. And we had uh, Celtics fans booing their home team. And we know the Celtics are now one of the best teams in the league and might go on to win a championship. But on that night, Scotty was you know, had the garden booing Celtics fans, sure. they, they didn't know what to do. And he, his herky jerky post moves as, as Nick says, really had the Celtics, you know, befuddled, they didn't know how to defend yeah. it. And, and that was sort of his coming out party, you know, the second or third game of the season, we were realizing, oh my God, this kid's really special. I'm not sure if we realized he was rookie of the year special, but that <laughs> was sort of the first moment that I was like, this kid is, is something different.
1: I was going to put it into the, oh shit, Scotty Barnes moments, because at that moment, we realized that this guy is a real deal. He was hitting pull-up twos, pull-up threes, um, the offensive rebound, the off-ball movement, and um, his situational awareness as an offensive player. That was something that is was kind of unheralded um, when he was drafted. You know, there was famously there was a person who said that he was a no-level scorer. And we learned really, really quickly early on in the season that was not true at all. And that, you know, he was a jump shot away from being this like really difficult matchup. And again, I mentioned it earlier with Precious Chua, like. Scotty Barnes, like his ability to finish around the basket is actually incredible. Like he's got this floater and this awareness composure around the, around the basket. That's pretty impressive. And I don't think anyone really saw that coming. And we saw all of that in that game against the Celtics, his timing of his cuts, man, like it's really, really cool because when the Raptors are healthy, he kind of took on this role as kind of the fifth option, right? He was like the uh, the release valve when, you know, things weren't going well, broken possession. He was a person who was finding space on the court and he would make something happen. And that's like that presence on the court. You don't know, you don't really see that from rookies, right? That's something you learn over time, but his IQ is already there. Very, very impressive stuff from him. Pivoting right to the, oh shit, Scotty Barnes moments. Uh, Does anything else come to mind for you?
2: No. Well, I just think of that, that game against the Nets. I think they might have lost that game, but he, he stripped KD, yeah. grabbed that ball with his grown man hand, <laughs> and went end to end right for the dunk. I think he might have done that classic Scotty Barnes look back as of he, he was he uh, go- going end to end for that dunk. And then after. The-
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
2: how genuine KD was. It wasn't like LeBron James. It was like, yeah, I've known this guy was going to be good for years. This was KD being like, sheesh, he's only, what is it? 20 years old. He realized that this guy's like the next generation. And when you hear that from a player of KD's caliber saying this guy with the, with the emphasis he put on, on how good that player is, I think that's something that says, okay, you know, I know he's special, but when KD's saying it, his voice uh, carries a little bit more weight than mine, and I think that was another moment where I said, wow, this kid's going to be, you know, one of the faces of the NBA um, down the road.
0: Edwards there defensively. Step back. Oh, ridiculous!
1: Sure, man. Against the the Nets, he averaged 19 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 66% from the field, 50% from 3. Granted, you know, as the season went on, a lot of small fries on the Brooklyn Nets, so they were kind of, uh, yeah, they were successful to the Raptors' identity of having all these uh, large uh, players, large wings. Um, but at the same time, in that game that you're talking about, I was in awe. I was like legit just like, wow, this is a player who's doing this against Kevin Durant. And the shots that he was hitting, you could tell that it wasn't luck. This was him like getting into the ry- rhythm of his offense, finding his spots, doing things that he knows he can do on the basketball court. And KD, as you said, he was shocked at what this rookie was doing at 20 years old, uh, maybe 19 at the time, whatever it was. At that moment, Scotty showed us that he loves a spotlight. That's the thing that really struck out to me. And you mentioned that LeBron James game, even during the playoffs too, he isn't shy from the moment. He's willing to take that shot um, late in the game um, with all the pressure on him. And that's a quality that you cannot teach. OG Anobi has, has it too. Fred VanVleet has it. Like there's willing to rise to the occasion and they want that pressure. They want the smoke. That is a really cool quality to have. Siakam
0: trying to get by Rivers, can't, Barnes for three, got
1: it. That game against the Denver Nuggets late in the year um, on that five-game road trip where he had 25 points, eight rebounds, 10 assists. I look at this as like his Magic Johnson game because it was an MVP level of performance. Like Fred wasn't there. OG wasn't there. Gary was there. um, Pascal also had a good game. But you kind of saw, you know, how good he's going to be. And like the progression that he's made as a player, it was the middle of the trip, very tough time. Like that was the kind of the the area where the Raptors really able to solidify that they were going to be in that top six area because they won on one a five game uh, win streak. And uh, he was directing the offense. He was rebounding the ball. He was attacking smaller players. He was attacking Jokic. He was stealing the ball off ball on ball, whatever he was doing it all. And At that moment, man, like you're thinking like this guy is going to be an MVP candidate at some point in his career because of how forceful he was. He was posting his will on that game. And him and Pascal, you kind of really saw that two man game develop over that road trip. And I'm excited to see what that uh, that lends towards the season um, next season as well.
2: Yeah. And I think the only other one that comes to mind, you know, I guess there are a bunch that come to mind, but game one of the playoffs, uh, what was he like three assists shy or something of the first playoff triple double for the Raptors um, in franchise history. And he came out, you mentioned not being afraid of the spotlight. He certainly was not afraid of that spotlight. He came out in game one and showed that he's already a guy who who can succeed in those moments. So that's another one that comes to mind for me,
1: man. If he didn't get injured, what could have been, what could have been, uh, anyways, um, Scotty Barnes, Rookie of the Year, very deserving. Sophomore of the Year—that should be an award. Sophomore of the Year—I really think that should be something. No, right? That should be sure.
2: I, I guess people had that problem with with uh, John Morant this year, right? When he was like the most improved player or whatever. So yeah. y- you could have another award. You know, Nick Nurse made fun of me because I asked too many award questions. So maybe he doesn't want <laughs> more awards um, yeah. this season. <laughs> but yeah, something like that would certainly make sense.
1: Yeah the facilitator of Scotty Barnes, man, those one hand passes he's doing now too, are really, really fun. Um, I like seeing those. Um, it's like, again, that magic Johnson quality of just being able to find ways to get the ball to a teammate right on the tape in their shooting pocket. It's special, special stuff. Defensive player of the year. I'm going to say we have different opinions on this one. Um, but I understand where you're coming from with yours, but I'm going to say OG and Yeah. He only played 48 games. Um, but this goes back to the Marcus smart thing is that, uh, a person who can actually guard one to five is truly, truly rare. Some players say they can do it. Some guys think that they can do it. But OG and Nobi can actually guard one to five. There are a few players that he cannot match up mono to mono. I think about that uh, heat game against Jimmy Butler where he just like Turned off the water. Trey Young, same deal. Turned off the water in that game against the Atlanta Hawks earlier on in the season. And then being able to take on a matchup like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and be competent at it, it's such a rare quality, man. And he only got 48 games in. And I think that, you know, If he was able to play more games, if the Raptors were higher in the standings, he would have been in that conversation. And I think that's something he should really shoot for because he is a rare talent. That's why Ben Simmons, when he's healthy, he's up there in that conversation as well, because there are a few players that have the physicality, the fitness, the athleticism, the side to side movement, the uh, strength to compete with anyone on the court. Um, It's a rare body build. Precious Achua also has it and OG and Anobi has it as well. Sure. 48 games is not a great sample size. And there's probably other players, Fred VanVleet and Pascal Siakam because of how good he was in the second half of the season defensively. But I'm saying OG because I want to continue that propaganda that he is one of the best defenders in the NBA.
2: No, no, no. I I definitely agree with you that he is up there in that caliber of player and his ability, that versatile ability. Sometimes people think of the defensive player of the year and they think of like a guy like Rudy Gobert who defends one position really, really well. I'm not taking anything away from him, but that versatility is sort of the new era of basketball and something that the Raptors want to do. For me, it was those number of games that really proved costly. And I think the Raptors need to get him up to something like 75 games a season. And that will be sort of health is the make or break (laughs) skill for OG Ananobi, it seems, going forward. You know, I thought about Fred Van Vliet and he was incredible he might be on the all defensive uh team this year as a guard you know one of those teams but he didn't he struggled in the second half of the season pascal siakam started the year and was a little bit shaky before really finding his groove and that was something nick nurse commented on in his exit interview how good pascal siakam was in the second half of the season as a defender Scotty Barnes had flashes of being great, but also had flashes where he looked like a rookie out there. Uh, Precious Achua, we talked about being one of the most improved players in the season. But at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of questions about his defensive ability. So I sort of went through all the guys and couldn't really find (laughs) a great answer. So I ended up settling on Nick Nurse. And I say that because because he stuck with this defensive rotation. And you actually talked about it. He said, I'm going to stick with my defensive philosophy. And these guys can't figure it out right now. But as this season goes on, it's going to be worth it. And we know Nick is one of the best coaches. And in my books, maybe the best coach in the NBA and certainly on the defensive side. And we heard night after night, guys like KD called him a nightmare. He keeps you up at night. We heard Bradley Beal praising Nick Nurse. And even when the Raptors were struggling defensively, he stuck with it. And we saw it paid off Um, down the season. In the second half of the season, they had one of the best defenses in the league and you know if not for a few injuries that defense was really frustrating Joel Embiid at times in the playoffs so yep. for me it's maybe it's a cop-out answer because I couldn't find anyone else but Nick Nurse <laughs> to me is the defensive player of the year for the Raptors
1: Hey man, I get it. I understand it. And uh, he had a, yeah, he had some moments this season where I I feel like he maybe wavered a little bit on his philosophy because he thought that, you know, maybe these guys are not going to get it and he's a winning coach. He wants to win games and uh, he wrestled with himself a little bit, I think. And even myself, like I questioned his, uh, his defensive tactics as well. I'm like, do you need to be picking up players at half court and leaving this big gap um, around the free throw line extended? Like you're just kind of asking for it. And, to some degree, I still question a little bit of it. I think at times he's a bit of a victim of his own creativity. I look at that James Harden matchup where it took him like four or five games to just get his players to stop reaching so much because James Harden is a great foul baiter. And that could have It's one of the reasons why they lost the series. Granted, you know, injuries, all that kind of stuff, but James Harden getting to the free throw line and being able to early on in the se- series was a problem. That's why they got off to that 3 0 series lead. And uh, Joel Embiid, same deal, is like, you know, were they over-aggressive in their doubling of them? Did they not adjust soon enough? And so I think those elements are still there. However, when it comes to building a defensive game plan, the amount of players who say that, wow, man, that Raptors defense is killer. Bradley Beal has talked about it. I mean, James Harden talked about it after the series. Uh, go down the list. Like, it's a very creative defense. And um, the Raptors, they have the players who can at least perform and, and do it at a capable level. Granted, yeah, there were some hiccups at the early on in the season, and I still think that some of those hiccups are there. You know, if you're less aggressive on the perimeter with your defense, if you're a bit more composed and you use your length a little bit more, hey, maybe you're a better defensive rebounding team. Things like that do come to mind. But I also think that early on this process, I think Nick Nurse is going to keep on tweaking. He's going to keep on Finding new ways to implement his style to the most effective way possible. And, you know, both Nick and Masai talked about defensive rebounding as one of their weaknesses. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt is that I think they're going to be better on that end of the court uh, next season. You know? Sure. Games of the year. We got three here. Aaron, you can go first.
2: Well, I think my, the first one that came to mind when you sent me this and said, what's the game of the year? And this is probably an unpopular answer, but to me, it was actually that loss to the Phoenix Suns and they had been coming off a stretch. They had won something like six or seven games in a row, if memory serves. And a lot of those teams were missing guys. They were down a few players here and there. And it was like, all right, this Raptors team was sort of in the middle of the season. We were like, is this team any good? You know, what's this team like, as I mentioned, they, they were a team that I thought was going to be sort of in that play in tournament picture. Mm. And then they go out and they go toe to toe. I think I looked at the box score. Utah Watsonabe was starting that game. This was not a complete Raptors <laughs> team. And I think they were going oh, up man. against one of the best teams in the NBA who was fully healthy. And they lost by, what was it, like three points against one of the best teams in the league. And I just pulled up my game story uh, from that night. And I said, this team is good. They might not be great, but they're better than anyone expected. And I think that was the moment that I realized, Oh, wow, this team, you know, has a chance, maybe not to do something special in the sense of win a championship, but they went toe to toe with a team that could win a championship. And I don't talk about moral victories, but to me, that was the night that I realized that they were really good. And maybe it was a moral victory game for me. So to me, that was sort of the moment that I would say was the game of the year. It was a close game and they went toe to toe with a potential NBA champ.
1: Yeah, and uh, the turning point of that game actually was Pascal Siakam getting that fifth foul, if you recall. That's when, uh, in the fourth quarter, in mean, the Raptors had held them to 23 points in the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter. And in the fourth, uh, the Suns scored 30, and Pascal Siakam getting that early fifth foul and having to come out of the game, that's really where things kind of turned. So you could have been talking about a win. One that comes to mind for me is that triple overtime game versus Miami heat kind of typical, but I look at this because it's more of like it's proven the philosophy and like showing the capability and potential of the Raptors, because every single one of their starters played heavy minutes and every single one of them had an impact on, <laughs> Um, on like the last like you know three overtimes and also late in the game you think about pascal siakam four steals four blocks insane he was matched up against bam out of bio one of the hardest checks in the nba and down the stretch of that fourth quarter he beat him to the bucket for a layup that was kind of around the time where we're, we're waiting for him to find his groove defensively and it took a long time but he did it og Ananobi just shutting off the water on jimmy butler that really stood out to me. Uh, Fred van bleeding two threes in the final OT him showing his big balls. As we know that he does have Scotty Barnes battling 56 minutes, two clutch free throws at the end of the fourth quarter to solidify that they we're going to be going to OT. And then eventually obviously the Raptors won, but dealing with those minutes, he grinded this year, man, like he was playing more minutes than he's ever played in his entire life. And that was a case where he also had that like really impressive dunk too, where he fell into the crowd. I just remember that. Um, very impressive performance from him and Gary Trent Jr. 33 points. He led the team. Granted, you know, over time, he wasn't as much of a factor, but he showed his his scoring prowess, his ability to, yeah, be a microwave score and become a huge factor on the offensive end. And uh, he's one player that I'm sure he's going to have a terrific offseason as well.
2: Yeah. And other games that come to mind, maybe not the best game of the year, but you have that, you have that uh, shot that Fred Van Vliet made the the Sam Cassell, uh, big balls, a celebration at the end of that game, a really close (laughs) game and a great win for the Raptors. You think on the other end of the spectrum, as I mentioned earlier, that Cavs game where the Raptors showed up and I think they said they met four four new guys, you know, that's a game Raptors fans might want to forget, but for some reason I can't (laughs) forget it because they were like, we met these guys on the bus right over here. That's to me a, a memorable game of the year. And then of course the fire alarm game was one of the weirdest games to ever attend. I think it was against uh, the the Pacers and all of a sudden they have to evacuate the building. There's a whole delay because (laughs) there's a fire in the building.
1: Final one, wrapping up this segment, game five versus 76ers very typical, but again, it's kind of in the same vein as the Miami heat game where you're showing the potential of the team and going into the lion's den in that situation, you know, down three, one at the time and competing Fighting and battling, and actually coming out with a win into that atmosphere. Scotty Barnes silencing the crowd. Sixers crowd
0: trying to get them to play with some immediacy as Barnes drives in up top. Young makes himself available for the two hand damage.
1: Pascal Siakam, what do you have? 23, 10, and 7. Like, talk about players who need to perform in the, in the playoffs and show that, you know, they're able to at least be something of a number one option. This was a huge moment for Pascal Siakam, game five. And when he left the court, what was his face? <laughs> Stoic, nothing, no emotion on there. Other guys were cheering, but he was completely quiet because he felt like, you know, job's not done. And unfortunately, you know, game six went the way it went, but that was a game where they rose to the occasion. And even though they were depleted, they were half the version that they should be, but they went in there and they got it done and they really stifled the 76ers. Winning games on the road is a huge part of winning championships. And uh, the Raptors showed that they got that ability throughout the season, but it really, really got solidified in that game five win. Okay, so off to sixth man of the year. We both have the same person here.
2: Are you letting me go for it?
1: Oh, you go for it. Oh, yeah.
2: All right. To me, it's, it's Chris Boucher, and we talked about him earlier yeah. as, as a player who found his role and I think actually accepted that sixth man of the role. He mentioned, uh, as I've talked about a couple of times now, that Cavs game where he thought he was going to come out and be the star of the team. And he mentioned uh, later in that season how that game was the turning point for him. Because he realized how hard it is to be the go-to guy. And this is a guy Mm. in the contract year who probably wanted to go out there and was putting up big numbers down in Tampa. He had that three-point shot falling and he sort of felt like he could be like, take the next step and be sort of a Pascal Siakam type player. And I think what he realized is how hard it is to be that guy. Yeah, And from that point on, he said, you know what? I'm not going to be taking the three-point shots. What I am going to do is grab offensive rebounds. I'm going to grab defensive rebounds. I'm going to take charges. I'm not going to be selling out for blocking three-pointers the way we have in years past where he makes silly mistakes. He was a composed, complete player and accepted his role. And again, he didn't do it every night. He's not a five out of five player. But in terms of accepting his role and being that sixth man of the year, that high-energy guy off the bench, he did it more often than not four out of five nights, three out of five nights. And that was something we hadn't seen from him in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a reason. If you listen to Masai Ujiri speak the other day, he talked about Chris Boucher as somebody who was on the team. We need to take oh, a step I forward caught from that Chris too. Boucher. Yeah, yeah, I caught forward. that. He's a guy uh-huh. who's going to develop for next season. Well, if you listen to the way he speaks, I think he'll be back next season.
1: Can they afford him, though? I mean, I mean Chris Boucher, like... I feel like because he's embraced his role and in some ways, you know, him not really being able to show his offensive game has actually helped him because people look at him now as a kind of a, complete product in a way where he's a player who knows exactly what his role is. And he's going to go out there and do it. So I don't know. I, I see him being a bit of a commodity this off season. It's going to, I think it's going to come down to whether Chris Boucher really wants to be, be a Toronto Raptor because money wise, I mean, I mean, it's just luxury tax and stuff like that. Like, does it matter? Do, do we need to care about that? It's more about the Raptors, but I could see a team really shelling out a lot of money for Chris Boucher.
2: It'll be interesting to see if they give out those long-term deals with some of the other contracts coming up, Gary, Fred, Pascal, yeah. and OG. How does the long-term financial yeah. situation work? But that's a, not my problem. That's, that's for Bobby <laughs> Webster Ujiri yeah. to figure out. But, but from the way it sounded like it, it's a guy, he's a guy they want to have back. And I think it's because he accepted and learned how to be that six-man-of-the-year type player.
1: Alex Caruso, after he won his NBA championship, the bubble title, um, he had said that one thing that sticks out to him a reason why he's able to last in the NBA is that he accepts his role. And that's always stuck out to me because you think about all the players who just got phased out of the NBA. And, um, you know, do you want to be a person who averages 20 in the G league or seven points in the NBA? And you got to make that transition, that acceptance that this is what you're going to be in the NBA because not everyone can be the number one player, right? That's why you have roles in the NBA. You have guys who are going to be your scores. You guys who are going to be your passers. And if you can't have too much of one thing, because that's how, well, That's how you lose games, right? Everyone's got to be comfortable in their own space on the NBA court. And Chris Boucher kind of finding that and realizing that and accepting it is, it's going to be a game changer for him. Like he's 29 now, I believe. So, um, but he's still obviously, you know, very useful. He's got probably four or five years in the NBA where he can still be very valuable. And uh, it's a great position for him to be in, you know, kind of like later than never is never a bad thing because as long as you get there, that's the most important part. So a salute to him. Um, I hope things really go well for him uh this off season financially. I think they will. And I hope he's back in the Raptors rotation for next season, because that is uh that would be a, a huge hole to fill, but not something you're going to really see immediately. It's going to take time for us to really see how they're missing Chris Boucher. If they do indeed kind of stick with this, like six, eight vision, not six, nine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that that's fair, and, that, and that's a good point. He could be priced out of the range for whatever reason, but um what he did in accepting that role was was crucial for the Raptors.
1: Your favorite Nick Nurse quote, phrase, or slogan, or moment, whatever.
2: So I have a couple that come to mind. Um, yep. You know, N- Nick Nurse never knowing what his starting lineup is going to be. You know, just minutes not before tip off or whatever it is, know, you know, it, yes. he's lying to us, and and you know we keep asking. We should probably stop asking him what it is, but when he's like 90 minutes before tip-off in a play-in game, he's like, or playoff game, excuse me. And he's like, you know, we're still going over a few things. Okay, Nick Nurse. I think the other one is is his... His ability, his reaction, or his conversations with Takeshi Shibata, a, a uh, Utah Watanabe expert over in Japan, yes. and and yes. they would go at it. And Nick always was patient with him, and that was a moment that stuck. Or those were moments throughout the season that stuck out to me. I think the one in particular was uh, Takeshi asked Nick why Utah was sent down to the G League, and people in Japan were outraged that he would be demoted. <laughs> and Nick just explained <laughs> it and said, "We need him to get back, and we need him to yeah. get healthy." And it was an opportunity for you to, to get right down there, but those interactions throughout the season are sort of one of my favorites. Every night, Takeshi is like, "I just have a question about you Watanabe. We know where it's going, and, and they had a they had a great relationship, the two of them. And hopefully, one day, if Canada ever makes it over to Japan, we had hoped it would be for uh, the Olympics. But hopefully, they can get their coffee together.
1: No question, man. Uh, Takeshi, I love Takeshi. He's. Uh, I messaged him a few days ago actually for a, for a clip, and he was very humble humble from the get-go and nick kind of knows the deal he's very well trained and so he's able to like he was tying things into the game along with yuta the answers were always awesome and uh, it was you're kind of waiting for the moment when you're on the call you're like when is takeshi gonna mention yuta watanabe and he would always start like a little bit general it's like you know the raptors won they had a good game so yuta watanabe and it was it was it was very fun um two things that come up to mind for me is uh, the time that uh, he met uh, queen elizabeth um this was during I do reminded me actually it was a Chris Finch game there was a reporter from uh, the UK there and the reporter (laughs) mentioned to him that oh you remember that time that you met Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth and Nick was just like oh yeah and he had this very detailed story I love story time with Nick Nurse he's legendary for those moments where he's like oh yeah back in you know 19th or in this D League and you know playing here playing there and all that kind of stuff and Kawhi famously talked about, you know, why are you telling me these stories? Like, I don't care about your time in the UK playing these meaningless games. But Nick Nurse, he is, has a way with words. He's very funny.
2: Throughout the season, you're always going to get those British basketball league games. And, you know, they they were down 0-3 in the series. And he was probably like, you know, when I was in Belgium (laughs) once, uh, we were down by 35 points starting the game or whatever. So he has those stories. He's been through everything now. So, uh, you know, time with Nick is always good.
1: Last one, when he said that uh, he was asked why certain players didn't play. And this was around the time where he kind of decided that I'm done playing all of these players. We're no longer going with the rotation to 10. It's going to be seven. And his response was, yeah, these guys didn't play because they were playing soft and unenergetic. And that was a whole That was one of those moments where, you know, when he when he's like uh, kind of shelled out on Stanley Johnson or Ronda Hollis Jefferson a few years, seasons ago, saying that they just weren't cutting it. And he picks and chooses, like you said, when he decides to call out players in the media. And that was a time where he decided to. And that was actually signifying the switch that he made, that we are no longer doing this. You either reach this level of play, or guess what? You are not going to play. And Delano Banton was victim of it. Malachi Flynn was victim of it. Um, a couple other, Yuta Watanabe, I don't know how many times this season where I said, why isn't Utah Watanabe playing? Great defender. I'm um, gonna do his job on that side of the court, but the Raptors, they really needed catch and shoot, three-point shooting, and Utah wasn't hitting his shots. And also, in some ways, he's a bit limited in his ability to, you know, dribble and get to the basket and finish there and all that kind of stuff. And so Nick's like, no, I'd rather play Scotty Barnes or Gary Trent Jr. or J or whoever a few more minutes because I know they're gonna do what I'm asking them to do. Maybe the shots will come and go, but at the very least, they're better offensive threats. And I'm not sure where things are going to go for Utah at this moment. Um, We'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, Nick Nurse sticking to his guns and making that switch in the season was uh, a moment for me for sure.
2: Are are we on to Masai's uh, quote of the year?
1: Oh, yeah, we are. Go ahead.
2: So... You know, every time we were playing the Masai Ujiri bingo game where, you know, he's going to pound his fist on the table, you know, he's going to say, we <laughs> will win here, you know, I will bring a championship to Toronto. So yeah. those, of course, are my favorite slogans. You know, every time he speaks, he's going to say something about winning, something about winning in Toronto and building toward yes. a championship. But he actually said something that I sort of found interesting and sort of funny uh, the other day he said if i can find more preciouses and more pascals and ogs trust me we'll have 15 of them on this team we'll continue to pile them up so we're talking about vision six foot nine six foot eight yeah and i believe him you know aside from fred van vliet and maybe one or two guys who are six feet or whatever this team wants to have 15 guys on the court or whatever it is 15 guys on the roster who are look like Precious Achiuwa, look like OGN Inobi, look like Pascal uh-huh. Siakam. He said it right there. Uh, Bobby Webster said it on draft night. He said we, we're happy if we have all those guys that look like that. So anyone who wants to talk about are they going to get Rudy Gobert? Are they going to get these players that don't necessarily yeah. fit the Raptors mold? Masai Ujiri said it yesterday. He said we want guys who are versatile two-way players who play like Precious Achiuwa, who play like Pascal Siakam. So everything this summer is going to come back to that quote. That's what the Raptors are looking for. And they don't want to stray from that whatsoever.
1: The reason why miles Turner was a bit of a fit. And I think they actually were genuinely into that, uh, that deal, but uh, the Pacers, you know, they made the deal for Sabonis. And so they decided that, you know what, this isn't really going to make sense anymore. They're going to go roll with the, with Miles Turner as their center, but he kind of fits that mold, right? He's a mobile big, he can hit threes, he can block shots. And so he's kind of like a taller version of what you know a refined pressure to chew is going to be someday. So that was a case where I could see it. You know, I felt it. I could really see why the Raptors wanted uh, Miles Turner and why he'd be a great fit. But other than that, man, like there aren't too many players. And I feel like the Raptors eventually they're going to run out of all these guys that he's talking about because they have all of them. You know, Um, so this offseason, I'm curious what they do. I mentioned earlier on, you know, a Mason Plumlee type or just some sort of taller, mobile, big person who has like a bit of passing chops or whatever the case is. That is kind of the only real way that someone of that uh, height at least is going to be entering this uh, this lineup. And uh, other than that, they're going to do a lot of uh, relying on internal growth to get better this season and uh, maybe probably add some three point shooting. That's the only thing I think they're really going to do is add some three point shooting. I love his ability to deflect questions and Nick nurse is good at this too. And Messiah is great at this too. And uh, the fact that he will even dish out things like, oh, I got to check with my bosses, Bobby and Nick. Like, you're the vice chairman and president. You are everyone's boss. So what is this about you deflecting questions saying, oh, we got to evaluate this. We got to evaluate that. Hey, check in with me in a couple of weeks. Like, things like that. Like, I mean, he's a veteran with the media. And every time that he speaks to the media, it's always priceless. And he's a very charismatic personality. And um, his ability to deflect and not answer questions. Anytime they're asked. And it's like reporters now because they know Messiah, they know he's going to do that or they know he's not going to answer a question, but it's like that give and take, like, I know you're not going to answer it and we know that you're not going to answer it, but let's just do the whole shtick and we'll be on our way. And there were a lot of those the other day.
2: Or the one word answer, the correct. Someone would ask Ooh, about, is this your perfect. core moving forward? Yes. Correct. 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 <laughs> Yes. Basically next question. Yeah.
1: Yes. Speaking of that kind of stuff. So he did the correct thing twice. I counted the amount of times in my podcast yesterday with Katie Heindel. We asked a question openly, like how many times did an Jerry say the word win at his end of season? And I actually counted because on YouTube now you can look at transcripts. And so I looked at it and it was 17. He said 17 times the word win. Um, I thought it'd be higher. I had set the over under at 20. Katie had it at 30. So there you guys go. Seventeen times he said the word win.
2: Awesome. Some sports books <laughs> should come out with that line. That's a
1: good line. Exactly right. People, sports books, Bet Three Six Five, all those places get on it. Um, finally, and possibly most importantly, MVP. Who is your? Who is our person? <laughs>
2: So, so in terms of most valuable player, and this actually isn't on the list, but in terms of most valuable player moving forward, we talked about him already. It's Scotty Barnes. But in terms of most valuable player, who was the most valuable player on this team this season? I think we both agree it's Pascal Siakam. And after everything he went through the past years, two, two seasons, and Michael Grange wrote a great story on that, um, the vitriol that was sent his way, the injuries he had to deal with, being locked inside because of the pandemic. And this is a guy who, you know, isn't accustomed to is is very afraid of these pathogens like the pandemic and his first surgery was this past off season when he had never had surgery before he took he talked about you know these at-home remedies he used to have growing up and finally going under the knife he was petrified of that and to come back and have the season he had and he was way better than he had been in years past on the defensive end he got back to scoring at two levels. And we'll talk about that third level coming up, Sure. but he was a two level scorer. He got to the rim. He got into that mid range shot. His playmaking was better than we've ever seen. He took a step forward two years ago. or in that Tampa season last year or this past season, it was even better. He was getting a second defender and he was making the right play. Uh, We didn't mention those, those triple double games and the one he almost had, that's because he was putting up 13 assists a night, 10 assists a night, sometimes seven assists a night, he was a point guard. And when Fred went out of the lineup, he took over that point guard responsibilities alongside Scotty Barnes. And I think we will see that next year Well, we'll see Mm -hmm. Fred playing more as a two, as a shooting guard off ball, as the Raptors try to do at times this season and you'll see Pascal Siakam running the point as a six foot nine. I think he's one of the true six foot nine guys, a six foot nine point forward who can do everything. Now the big question mark moving forward is that three point shot. Can he get back to where it was a few seasons ago? Yeah where it was at something like 37% on six, just over six attempts per game. If he gets back to that, well, we know he's a great defender. We know he's a playmaker. Now we know mm-hmm. he can score at two levels. If he can get back to his third level, well, what can't this guy do? And I think that is why even at 28 years old, this guy mm-hmm. has come back every offseason He's had to really have an offseason, not getting shoulder surgery, not being played by the pandemic. He's come back yep. better. Now, is he ever going to be a top five player in the league? that's really, really hard. I would bet against it, but at the same time, Siakam's defied all the odds before. So I don't know, call me crazy. Maybe he can do it. Um, (laughs) but for this season, he was the best player on the team. And I think he really answered rose to the call time after time, after time that game three second half was a disaster for him. He owned it and then he came back better the next two games. And we saw that this season. So kudos to him. He really had a spectacular season,
1: man. No question. And, uh, dealing with these circumstances, like it's unfortunate that he had to deal with pandemic issues like that. We all had, we all had our own little pandemic issues um, over these past couple of years, but his were very public and that's not the way it should be. But unfortunately as a public figure, that's how it went. And so when it comes to him being scared of getting the coronavirus, then he actually ended up getting it, him being scared of surgeries and stuff like this. Like these are things that we should know, but because he is who he is, we found out. And so the internal battle that I'm sure he went through, and also the ridicule that you had mentioned, the racism, the comments about his deceased father, like things that crossed the line. He dealt with all of this in public. That is not fair. That is not what common people have to do. Even NBA players have to do. But unfortunately, those were the circumstances that were in front of him. And even that uh, Michael Grange story that you mentioned, um, in that story, he actually outlined that, yeah, Bobby and Masayu Ujiri came to him last off season and they're looking at the work that he was doing and they're like, it's not good enough. Imagine doing that to a person who has gone through all of that he's gone through and still saying that he wasn't good enough, but to his credit, again, he has become like the cerebral playmaker and uh, these games where he's getting like 10 assists, 12 assists, 13 assists, the processing power that he has now and using his gravity to lure defenders towards him. It's really, it's like a rare quality. And Getting to a superstar level, it's very difficult. You know, we talk about how many superstars really are in the NBA. Like we're talking LeBron, KD, Giannis. I mean, there's there's a few more players, Jokic, Joel Embiid. That's kind of the core. And that's what we're looking at Pascal Siakam to do. Many, 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 many players have failed to do this right, to become a true number one option in the NBA, but the stride that he made this offseason or this season as a mid-range scorer um, and being able to orchestrate offense from different levels of the court, and if he's able to add this three-point shot that we're talking about and if the Raptors were able to add three-point shooting because that was one of the deficiencies. You saw it in that game six where Pascal had a tremendous first half, second half, what happened? You know, the 76ers, they turned off the water, man. That's what they did. They just said that we're going to make some other guys score. And unfortunately, those guys didn't do it. And Nick Nurse said it afterwards, too. He's like, you know, Pascal was great. He was making the passes, but they weren't hitting the shots. So adding all these factors, we could be seeing a really special season from Pascal Siakam next year. Keeping in mind, again, like you're talking about, he has a full off season. The first time he's had that in two years. First time around pandemic last season it was a shoulder surgery. So he wasn't able to go full tilt. He's going to be doing that this off season. I would not be surprised if we see a completely different player uh, from the three-point line next season. And I think he was even doing some tweaking with his three-point shot throughout this season. Um, even as mid-range true is that you could kind of see it from the beginning of the season to the end. It does look different. It's very small tweaks that they make, but when you go to Nick nurse shooting school and things are going to probably build pretty well for you. And I don't know, man, like, we could be on the verge of seeing something really special from Pascal Siakam, especially with all the raptors getting a little bit better. And you know, they made their decision that they were just going to kind of let them play, let the kids play, let the let's go have recess, let's go to the YMCA, and let's just see how things go. That's essentially what they did, but it got it got really good. They got really good production from different players and this was a valuable experience and everyone who's in that top five top six top seven uh, is going to get better this off season and if they add a few more three-point shooters you know they're able to at least sustain some level of shooting around pascal they're going to be dangerous and he is going to be an unbelievable player next year i'll bank on it for sure
2: And Scotty will take a step forward. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic between the two of them, how they coexist. And I see no problem with it. I know people have questions, making sure Scotty's usage is right. But I think that those two can coexist. And we talked about Thad Young being a mentor for some of the younger guys. You know, Scotty and Pascal play very similar positions, but I don't think that's an issue. We talked about Mm -hmm. Masai saying he wants 15 Pascal Ziakams. Well, 15 means you're going to have guys who look the same and play the Mm -hmm. same way. And Scotty can look to Pascal as a guy who was maybe not a top pick, but sort of a a first round pick and a guy who has been through those lumps and and can look at him and say, well, he did it. So I'm going to work just as hard as him to get to that point. And, And we talked about this season, how successful it was to go from being a team that was drafting fourth overall to where we started to defying whatever you said, 36 and a half or 35 and a half win total to 48 wins, to fifth round, or sorry, to fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. And and next year they should be even better. Well, you can't get much better than that. So you're talking about, you know, a second or third round playoff team and maybe a year after that, a championship team. So that's where the Raptors are heading. And you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bet against this group because Masai Ujiri has laid out a plan and it makes sense to me. And I think it makes sense to to the public in the sense that he's like, we are going to grow here and we've done it before and they will make changes when it's time to make changes but what they've shown before is that they are going to develop these players and next year I imagine it's going to look similar and we'll see what happens and they should have more success next season than they did this year and that's something to get excited about
1: so you mean they're not in no man's land like Shaq and uh, Charles Barkley were talking about no,
2: no I, I strongly disagree.
1: With that. <laughs> strongly, strongly, strongly disagree with that uh, that that point of view because the Raptors are anything but in no man's land. Um, the reason why the fan base is so encouraged right now, like when the Raptors lose this playoff series, typically there's a lot of sore, like, oh my God, that sucks. Like any team. But this year it was just like, yeah, we gave it our best shot. Could have gone better if we were a little bit more healthy, but uh, it is what it is. It was a great experience because they made us have expectations of this team because of how good they were. And I can't believe that if they just took care of business against the Detroit Pistons, they would have been the four seed. Wow. (laughs) Oh, and three against the Pistons this year.
2: And, and those losses to the Thunder and those losses to the Orlando yeah. Magic. So yeah, but yeah. you're always kicking yourself in games like that. A little bit more health. You talked about that Gary rotation sure. or whatever it was. Um, Precious that she was free throws. Uh, yeah. That series sort of could have gone either way, even with those blowouts. But um, as we talked about, the Raptors played with nothing to lose in those playoffs. Um, they came out there. They came out of an 0-3-0 hole to to make it an interesting series. And I think, as I said, next season should mm. be even better.
1: I believe it was 21 games, or maybe 22, I guess, technically with uh, game one, where they actually had their full starting lineup. 22 games. That's it. So injuries were a massive, massive factor on this Raptors team. Yet, just like in that 2019-20 year, they just kept on finding ways to win. Different players would step up. Different players would uh, recognize the moment that they have. Different players would step up and, you know, improve throughout the season, which is one of the things that doesn't always happen in a a year like this where um, there's, you know, it's a season, right? There's very few practice opportunities. You're kind of relying on your players to put in the work on their own time. And you know what? The Raptors have a bunch of players who did. And that's why Precious got better. That's why Chris got better. That's why Pascal Siakam found his groove. That's why O.J. Anobi got better. That's why Gary Trent Jr. in his own way actually did improve, improve throughout the season. And Scotty Barnes, I mean, he's a whole different story. He's going to be you know, in the MVP conversation at some point in his NBA career. So a very special team, a very special year. Aaron, you had a terrific year as well, covering the Raptors. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, closing thoughts.
2: Well, closing thoughts. As I said, this team is the the future is very, very bright. And I've heard some people you mentioned saying they're stuck in no man's land or the series season was disappointing because they didn't get out of the first round, but the future is very, very bright. And as I said, when you have a group that has Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, maybe the best front office in the league, you have Nick Nurse, maybe the best coach of the league. You have Pascal uh-huh. Siakam, who's playing at an all NBA level, and you have the rookie of the year whose future looks as bright. We're not talking about one of those years where the rookie of the year is just an OK player who you know, yeah. beat, won the rookie of the year because the class was bad. This was an incredible class. And what Scotty was doing was putting up numbers that compare all time to some of the best rookies of the year. I don't know if there is a team in sports that has that sort of rookie of the year player, the front office and the coaching staff together. And to have that in Toronto, to me, the future is very, very bright. And that again is something for Raptors fans to be very, very excited about. Does that mean they're going to win a championship next year, three years or four years down the road? No, but you can't bet on that for any team. You never know what's going to happen, but they have the building blocks in place with those three to have success and to have sustained success that we've seen in Toronto before.
1: I started the podcast talking about the Raptors having the same record as a 2013-2014 team, uh, 48-34, and and that led to seven consecutive playoff appearances. There is no reason why this version of the Raptors under this management with this core won't be doing that as well. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. People, just so you guys know, we have lots of content to come. Yes, our toolbox is as big as Nick Nurse's, okay? So we will be continuing to make content throughout the offseason, draft, free agency, um, a couple of fun things in the middle. Don't go away. We will be here throughout the summer. And then finally, we will get back to seeing the Raptors play on the NBA court once again. Thank you.